Welcome to the 17th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition, our topics are a recap of Patrick's weekend predictions, the NBA Week in Review, and the first NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament Top 16 Seed Reveal. Let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com, and let's start with college basketball. Number 23, Loyola Chicago destroyed Drake, 81-54. Patrick correctly picked Loyola Chicago in the first of back-to-back weekend matchups between the leaders in the Missouri Valley Conference. They played the next day with Drake winning uh, very narrowly. Number 12, Oklahoma beat number 14, West Virginia, 91-90 in double overtime. Patrick incorrectly picked West Virginia to win this game that took two overtimes to settle. Number 19, Creighton upset number 5, Villanova, 86-70. Patrick incorrectly picked Villanova. And number 16, Florida State, upset number 7, Virginia, 81-60. Patrick incorrectly picked Virginia. So Patrick went 1-3 in his NCAA hoops predictions for this week. Let's move on to the NBA where the Jazz beat the Bucks 129-115. Patrick correctly picking that game. The Suns beat the 76ers 120-111. Patrick incorrectly picked the 76ers. The Nets beat the Warriors 134-117. And Patrick got that game correctly picked. And finally, the Nuggets beat the Lakers 122-105 with Patrick incorrectly picking the Lakers, meaning Patrick went 2-2 in his NBA predictions. He was 3-5 overall in this weekend's predictions, but he's 61-28 overall this year, a stellar 685 winning percentage so far this season. Patrick, your thoughts on your predictions for last week? My winning percentage would still be enough to be ahead of the, the Philadelphia 76ers in the Eastern Conference for the best record, so I'll take that. Uh, unfortunately, I'm no longer above the Clippers for third in the West, but that's a different story. Uh, yeah, some really upsetting losses and then some really just crazy performances by teams I picked against. I don't think I'm ever picking against Florida State again. I picked, I think I picked, I picked them to win games three different times and I'm pretty sure they won those three in the one time I pick against them. It backfired, so won't be picking against them next week. Uh, and I think Creighton shots, they were shooting... 75% from the three-point line halfway into the second half. They were just on fire against Villanova. And obviously then you have the heartbreaker in overtime between West Virginia and Oklahoma. I can't really predict that one, right? I mean, in double overtime, yeah. And then Anthony Davis with the early exit in the game against the Nuggets is also an unfortunate occurrence that I couldn't really have predicted. So that kind of summed up the week. A A lot of unfortunate stuff. And also, by the way, I didn't even mention... Picking against Florida State, they also just went crazy on Virginia, which I didn't expect either. Yeah, Virginia looked like they were maybe going to make a game of it after getting completely blown out in the first half, but then Florida State stepped right back up and dashed all those hopes. Well, uh, you can see Patrick's predictions for next weekend every Thursday, well, next Thursday and every Thursday, posted on our website, 4thand24.com. Let's move off of Patrick's weekend predictions and go to our weekly NBA recap. As always, we start with the three most impressive teams of the week, in Patrick's opinion. Patrick, who was that number one most impressive team in the NBA last week? I gave it to the Phoenix Suns. They beat the Cavaliers, the Bucks, the 76ers, and the Magic. Uh, if the Suns were in the Eastern Conference, they'd be 30-0 and this season. It looks like they just completely ran through every team in the East that their schedule threw at them. I think they're on a seven-game winning streak right now. They beat the number one and number two teams in the East in the, in the East. And also cruise to to the other victories. They're playing really well, and it looks like the trade for Chris Paul is just completely paying off, and they look like a surefire playoff team. 
Maybe something some other small market teams might want to consider when they finally find their big draft breakthrough like the like the Suns found with Devin Booker is thinking about trading for a vet and an all-star that you can take and maybe win some games with them. So that's that's kind of the story of Phoenix this season, but it's great for them. All right, let's move to your second most impressive team in the NBA last week who also went 4-0. I gave it to the Portland Trailblazers. They beat the Magic, the 76ers, the Cavaliers, and the Mavericks. Uh, the Blazers are playing shorthanded right now without Harry Giles, Yusuf, Nur- Yusuf Nurkic, Zach Collins, and most importantly, C.J. McCollum. That's three centers, really, and and their starting shooting guard. But Dame Lillard and the rest of this team are just willing themselves to victories over anyone put in front of them. Dame has been amazing in clutch time, as always, and he's the real reason behind this team's success. But you can't overlook also... Uh, Carmelo Anthony had a great game a few nights ago, too, and stepped up and scored 17 in the fourth quarter, looking like vintage Carmelo, just when Dame not necessarily played a bad fourth quarter, but maybe by his standards a little underwhelming, and they, they, they're they getting the scoring when they need it from whoever they, whoever they have, whether it's Gary Trent, Anthony Simons, Rodney Hood, whoever it is, they're finding it outside of Dame, Ennis Cantor's done a great job playing as really the only center left on this roster, and overall, they're playing a lot better than you would expect when they're shorthanded like this. All right, and let's move to your third most impressive team in the NBA last week who also went undefeated. Another team in the West, too. Uh, it was the Utah Jazz. They beat the Celtics, the Bucks, and the Heat. Kind of like the Suns, just running through the East again. Uh, the Jazz are on a roll. After their 11-game win streak being snapped, they are now on a 7-game win streak. And while I would not say that they're the best team in the league or that they have the best roster... They do have the best record in the NBA, and that will help them advance further into the playoffs eventually if they can keep that up because they will be able to avoid probably the Lakers and the Clippers and have one of them take each other out until the before the conference finals even starts, which would be a huge advantage. That one seed is very, very coveted, especially in the West and especially this year in this format. So great job with the Jazz. That's now 18 of their last 19 as, as I stated and I mean honestly they had kind of a slow start to the season so it they've just been amazing they're sharing the ball they honestly right now are reminding me of the great Spurs teams from their dynasties and even the 2016 Golden State Warriors I'm not saying they're as good but the way they play they all share the ball they like to toy with the other team they play just so ridiculously it's amazing but yeah all right well as always we go to the flip side of the coin with the most disappointing teams of the week in the NBA Let's start with your most disappointing team. I gave it to the Houston Rockets. They went 0-4 this week. They lost to the Hornets, the Pelicans, the Heat, and the Knicks. I'm not so much disappointed that the Rockets are going 0-4 because they were kind of due to come back down to earth after a hot streak, after all their James Harden trade drama went down. Uh, and, And without Christian Wood, who's probably their best player, with him being injured, that's not really going well for them. But... You know they were they were playing better after the trade. They were 11 and 10, and now with a five game losing streak, they're 11 and 15. They're two and a half games back of the eighth seed. And considering that that eighth seeded team is the Golden State Warriors, their playoff hopes are rapidly uh, slipping. I don't I don't see it happening anymore. Sadly for them, and also it's just the teams that they're losing to. Those are the teams that you have to stack your wins up against when you have to play those other teams in the West that are better than you on paper, you have to beat the Hornets and the Pelicans and the Knicks. I mean, maybe not the Heat, but you got to go through 2-2, two 3-1 and, two, and one in that span if you want to be a playoff team in the West. 
And a tough week in Houston with the Rockets not winning a game and them uh, losing J.J. Watt all in the same week. I don't know what the city uh, thinks is worse. Probably losing J.J. Watt. I don't know. I think, as you said, the Rockets have been written off. Uh, let's move to your second most disappointing team in the NBA last week. Give it to the Boston Celtics. They had a really good start to the season, but they went 1-3 and three this week. They only beat the Nuggets. They lost to the Suns, the Jazz, and the Thunder. They've slumped all the way to a 500 record on the season at 13-13. and 13. And they're honestly really in need of a scorer other than their big three of, of Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Kemba Walker. And Kemba Walker isn't even scoring that much. And basically, if one of them is off they lose automatically is what's going on with them. They It shows that maybe the loss of Gordon Hayward was a little more valuable than we thought it was because he's he would have been their reliable scorer. And even Marcus Smart being the fifth best scorer would be a plus. But now, A, with him injured, and B, with Gordon Hayward gone, now you really only have three scores, and I don't know where they're going to find it. Maybe Danny Ainge pulls a trade like he always does, or they just... Find somebody like Peyton Pritchard that's deep in the rotation that they want to step up more, but they're they're not looking good and they are not beating they're not lose they're not losing to great teams they're pretty they're losing to some bad teams especially the Thunder and actually I'm I'm sorry I misread their wins and losses at the beginning of this they beat the Raptors lost to the Jazz the Pistons and the Wizards yeah that's a <laughs> so I gave them too much credit. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, okay, you lose to the Jazz, whatever. But the Pistons and the Wizards are two of, if not the two worst teams, they're at least two of the three worst, maybe with the Timberwolves being the only ones worse than those two. But the Raptors, also not a great win either. It's just they're not beating good teams. They're not, lo- they're not, they're not beating anybody, frankly. So not good looking for the Celtics. All right, and finally, your third most disappointing team of the week in the NBA. I gave it to the Milwaukee Bucks. They were the ones who beat the Nuggets, but then lost to the Suns, the Jazz, and the Thunder. The Bucks finally beat a top-tier team, as I've been getting them on them for a while about the Nuggets. But then they turned around and lost three in a row on the latter half of the week to the Suns, the Jazz, and the Thunder. The Bucks should easily beat the Thunder, let's be, let's be honest here. And if they're not able to beat the Suns or the Jazz... They won't be able to win a title because those two teams are not even the best teams in the West. I think everybody would agree that at least the Lakers are above those two and probably the Clippers are at least above the Suns, maybe above the Jazz. If you can't beat the Suns and the Jazz, whoever the West is going to send to the finals is going to beat you because either it is the Suns or the Jazz or it's the Lakers who are better or the Nuggets who are probably better or the Clippers who are better or even Golden State if they somehow manage a run or Portland if they manage a run. If those teams are are hot enough to beat the Lakers, then you're definitely not good enough to beat them the way that they're playing. But overall, I would say in the NBA, this season is a classic case of the West being so much better than the East, and it's kind of an ongoing narrative, but it's really true. The 14 and 13 record that the Pacers hold is good enough for the 5 seed in the East, while in the West, the Warriors have the same record and are still sitting at the 8 seed and only a half a game above the 9 team on the border of missing the playoffs. Not to mention, this one's crazy, the fact that the entire Western Conference, with the exception of the Minnesota Timberwolves, has a good enough record to be within one half of a playoff spot in the East. Wow. All 14 out of 15. Big disparity in winning, winning records there on the, uh, for the, each of the conferences. All right, well, as always, we do wrap up our NBA recap with uh, on a positive note with the player of the week. So who is it this week, Patrick? I give it to Devin Booker from Phoenix. Uh, best player on the best team, frankly, for this week. He helped the Suns to their four wins this week. 
He averaged 32.3 points per game, 5.3 assists, and 5.0 rebounds on 56.3% shooting. And he's played them into the four seed in the West right now, obviously in no in no short part to Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton too and their and their great bench and all the improved players and player development that they've gotten. Monty Williams seems to have been the right hire out of any of the hires made in that offseason, not last offseason, but the one before. Uh, Phoenix is just a great team, and Devin Booker's really leading them. Probably will make the All-Star game again. All right, that wraps up our look back at last week's action in the NBA. Now let's move to college basketball, and as we discussed in our last podcast, the NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament Selection Committee revealed for the first time this season its current top 16 seeds and related regional grouping on Saturday morning. Here's how the committee saw things. The number one seeds in order were number one, Gonzaga, two, Baylor, three, Michigan, and four, Ohio State. Moving on to the two seeds, you had Illinois, then Villanova, Alabama, and Houston. Coming in at number nine at the top of the three seeds is Virginia, followed by West Virginia, Tennessee, and Oklahoma. And then rounding out the top 16, the four seeds, the highest-ranked four-seed coming in at number 13 is Iowa, followed by Texas Tech at 14, Texas at 15, and Missouri at 16, the last four-seed that the NCAA Tournament Committee uh, seeded this week. Patrick, your thoughts? I picked the first 10 teams of the top 16 in the exact order they were in, and I also picked 15 of the top 16, which I would consider an, a success. And I also mentioned Missouri as the as one of the five or six teams that I thought was just outside of it. So the committee seemed to agree with me there. And they also said a few teams were on the on the outside looking in, namely USC, Florida State, and quote a couple of Big Ten teams, which I would assume included Wisconsin and most likely Purdue. And I had actually put Wisconsin in at fifteen. So that was uh, I guess that's probably one of those teams that they were considering. But um, overall, I'm, I'm I think. It was a. I think it was mostly what we expected. Maybe the only surprise you could say that was sort of a surprise is how far up Oklahoma was, just due to the record and kind of even when I mean I I included Oklahoma over Missouri, but if you actually look at their resumes going into that day, and I wrote about this in an article on my website that Missouri had more quad one wins, a better record against quad one, a better record overall. And the only advantage Oklahoma had was a half a game in conference record, seven and four to six and four. So it seemed like um, Missouri would be over Oklahoma if you looked at that. And I just had Oklahoma in kind of off of the instinct that they would include it, that they would include them. And (laughs) turned out right. They include them a lot higher than I thought they would be. Uh, I think I marked four teams that I thought could go in any order, Tennessee, uh, Iowa, Texas Tech, and Texas, and they kind of did go in a different order than I had predicted, but definitely in that same range. Uh, the the committee, really, this is kind of what I expected, but I, I, I you can see this in my article on my website, but I had five main takeaways. One of them was quality over quantity, and records just didn't matter this year, and I think that definitely... You can see that with Illinois ahead of Villanova and Alabama, even though they have five losses. And I mean, Alabama also has five, but Villanova had two going into the day. Alabama had three, or sorry, Houston had two, and Virginia had three, and Alabama and Illinois ahead of those teams. And also, the funny thing about this reveal is Ohio State was playing Indiana during the reveal. You never know if a team can lose while you're talking about them, almost kind of like jinxing them. 
And actually, there were four teams who lost on the day of the reveal that were included in the reveal. Villanova, a two-seed, lost to Creighton on Saturday a few hours after. West Virginia lost to fellow three-seed Oklahoma. Uh, Tennessee lost a three-seed, lost to LSU. Missouri, a four-seed, lost to Arkansas. And Virginia, a three-seed, lost to Florida State. So actually, every team on the three-seed line ended up losing or or beating another team on the three-seed line the day of or in the few days after, which is just kind of showing you that, look, you do a reveal, but it changes the next day because that's just or, what college basketball is. Or the reveal, I mean, you mentioned Ohio State was playing during the Indiana game, and I don't think it would Indiana needed any motivation. They knew Ohio State was going to be one of the t- tournament top seeds, if not a one seed, definitely a two seed. You wonder, though, if some of these teams who were watching the reveal before their game started got a little more hyped up, a little more jacked up, saying we're playing against a three seed or a four seed, and this is our chance to make a statement. Look at this, guys. So, I especially think that's true with uh, Creighton and Florida State because they did mention Florida State as a team that they saw barely outside of the top four seeds. And Florida State probably had two days to keep that video playing in their in their locker room right before everybody walked in on Saturday and on Sunday for practice before they ended up playing today. So, I mean, I, I definitely think that was for they, they used that as motivation. And honestly, maybe maybe Creighton did too. Maybe Creighton heard about it and they heard them not even being mentioned as a team that was right outside of it. As I said, they mentioned USC, Florida State, and a couple of Big Ten teams in a lot of conversations. No mention of Creighton. I actually had them right outside of it myself. So I actually was, I, I was a little, not not necessarily astonished, but a little surprised that they didn't have them at least as one of those teams that they would say are, quote, in a few discussions. Um, and overall, I think that could have made Creighton mad. Also, just Villanova, just being Villanova, everybody is going to give Villanova their best shot, and Creighton really did. So, you know, definitely was a lot of motivation. Yeah, by the way, I do want to give you credit. You and I debated last week about Baylor versus Gonzaga and Illinois versus Ohio State, and you were right about what the committee would do, although the committee did point out that uh, at the end of the year, maybe maybe Baylor leapfrogs Gonzaga if they run through their tournament. Right, so which is, about, is what I also brought up that, correct. that this is, Baylor— To be clear, this is about where teams are ranked right now, exactly. not a prediction of where people are going to be at the end of the and year. And also, Baylor actually was ahead of Gonzaga in the net the day of, which is interesting because it shows that the committee is not really just saying, oh, look, here's the net rankings. We're going to put you in based on the net. Because also, Missouri was 33rd compared to USC at 16 heading into the day. So you would you might say that USC gets in based off of their main metric, having USC higher, but... They did not end up doing that, and I respect them for doing that because it is true that the net can be flawed. I mean, Colgate is in the top 10. I don't think anybody has given Colgate a ranked vote in this entire season. Loyola Chicago was at 10 after beating Drake on uh, on Saturday. They were at 10 heading into the day. Drake dropped from 30 to 40 from that loss and then bounced back up by eight or se- seven or eight slots after beating Loyola Chicago. So it definitely fluctuates a lot with wins and losses and doesn't make it necessarily a perfect system. So I like that they're kind of going off their own intuition and kind of more more human and eye test than necessarily just saying just looking at the metrics all the time. Yeah, and I, I will say that you and I um, were talking about putting Missouri in the top 16 and we looked at that loss to Ole Miss uh, and said, ah, no way can they be in the top 16 after that, a very bad loss. 
and they turn around with another bad loss. So I, I felt a little vindicated about that, but um, you know that's just me. They I'm also just, I didn't justify my getting a pick wrong. I think not to mention Ole Miss, not to mention the bad loss to Ole Miss. At least it was a quad one loss, but they also lost earlier in the season to Mississippi State, a team that failed to beat Kentucky and was ranked, I think, in the nineties of the net heading into that day, or the eighties at least. Odd, uh, probably now ranked in the hundreds because I'm assuming they lost to whoever played this weekend. Um, so yeah, Missouri had a few bad losses, which is normally something that the committee, especially with bubble teams, holds against teams and says, "Well, this team had no bad losses out of the Big Ten. You can't get bad losses in the Big Ten. Maybe in the case of an Indiana this year, that might come true, as opposed to somebody who lost to somebody in the non-conference that wasn't very good." It, it can happen. So it was. I, I I have to say, yeah, that the Missouri being in the top sixteen was interesting, especially over. Wisconsin, I would say, would be the main contender to be there instead. Who also lost uh, on Saturday, so you know they would. would have well, they lost team. on Sunday. Sorry, but... lost on Sunday. Uh, and to be fair to Missouri, I think one of their big players was out of the game on Saturday. Yeah, their their center was out of that game. He actually had a twenty point tr- double double in the first matchup with Arkansas this season that they won. So yeah, to be fair to Missouri, that's that is true. But also, if you look at it, there they are not the only team that really could have. That, that really were on that, like, 16 bubble. I feel like the top 15 were, were in. We're clear-cut. I, I feel, clear-cut in a lot especially of with how much respect they pay to Oklahoma, I think they were the closest team to being out, in my opinion, outside of the top, outside of Missouri. And considering that they put them at 12, there's no way they were going to have Texas not in a top four seed after they've lost to great teams all year. And also that happened, same thing with Missouri and Oklahoma. They both beat good teams. They both lost to good teams. Missouri's bad loss is kind of the distinguishing factor, but Oklahoma, I can see where they were thinking because actually all of their losses are to teams that were in the top 25 of the net this year, and they also have four wins against teams in the top 20. So clearly, and and actually added another one by beating West Virginia. So clearly the resume is there for Oklahoma. They're one of those teams that might sneak up all the way to a one seed with a, if they end up winning the conference tournament because they would beat two or three of these teams that are on this list. Well, so interestingly enough, the committee, in addition to listing the top 16 teams, they, they seeded them in some in hypothetical regions. And because the tournament's going to all be in Indianapolis this year, um, they're not, they didn't name them like East, West, South. Um, they just said Region 1, Region 2, Region three, region four, with the, uh, the 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 seeding, the region one being the top overall seed, uh, region two being second, third, fourth, etc. Interestingly enough, when you look at this seeding, um, if there was one team, I think that would say, you know what, I'll take the, I'll take it, um, a because they're number one seed. It's Michigan, who although they are the number three seed, number number three seeded, number one seed overall, so the third ranked team overall. They actually appear to have the easiest bracket based upon the relative strength of the teams in each region, including having Missouri, who we just talked a lot about. So your thoughts on some of the, the regional the regional pairings that the committee announced? You know, it seemed to me like they were doing it based off of the conferences, and I don't know that they're going to do that come tournament time, especially when you consider who might be on the five-seed line, and maybe that was part of the behind-the-scenes thing, is that they might be crafting the entire so bracket. So you mean splitting, because, yeah, you have... Uh, yeah, as, as there is a rule that you cannot play a team in the same conference as you in the first two rounds, unless it, unless it literally cannot be avoided. Uh, but... There, I think maybe that has something to do with an with with a few of those teams. Maybe there's a Big Twelve team like Kansas or um, Oklahoma State who was on the five line that kind of 
pushed Missouri to a region and pushed Texas out of a region, or even a Wisconsin pushing Iowa to a different region. Overall, I was I, I was actually a little confused why they didn't just follow the typical S curve of one plays eight, two plays seven, three plays six, etc. It was very interesting to me. But I think they were just trying to split them up by conference because if you look at it, all the Big Ten teams are in a different region and the Big 12 had five teams yep, so they had and to. they had to put one of them in the same region and they did that with the one and the four, which would be the least likely to play each and other pretty much. And they did it with the lowest so. ranked Big 12 team. They put Texas in with Baylor. Right. So that was a little bit of that. But also, if you look at this week upcoming, there are a few of these teams playing each other. Texas plays Oklahoma this week. USC's right outside. They're playing... They're playing a game, of course. Uh, Michigan is playing Rutgers, a team that might have been even that mystery. They said a couple Big Ten teams. You know, people throw around the word a couple. It's actually, this is a whole different English discussion, but people throw around the world a couple. I don't even know if they were talking about just Wisconsin and Purdue, or if they were talking about Wisconsin, Purdue, and Rutgers, or maybe just Wisconsin and vaguely Purdue and Rutgers. Iowa plays Wisconsin. There are a lot of teams playing each other this week. This this bracket's going to shift enormously before the before the year is over. Yeah, Michigan plays Ohio State next weekend. Like you said, there's a lot of big matchups coming down the road. That's after the reveal, though, correct? Yes, though in 2019, there was, I think, 15 of the original 16 made were in the top 16 to end the year. So it is a pretty good indicator. Maybe a little bit because the one seeds can't really fall out of the top four when you're only a month away from the end of the season. It's pretty established who the best teams are. But especially when you have nine teams from two conferences, that could change this year because those teams are going to play each other and are going to beat up on each other, give each other some losses. Maybe some teams right below would also do the same. Okay, well, that wraps up this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Friday, February 19th, where we'll do another deep dive into college basketball. In the meantime, be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his continually updated NCAA tournament bracket predictions, and his picks for next weekend's game, ga- next weekend's games on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. And thank you again for listening.